Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harshberger, President of Measurable Results, LLC, and martinharshberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest in our podcast, go to www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Welcome to this episode of Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. I'm Martin Harsberger, your host. Today with us, we have Paul Daniels, who's Chief Revenue Officer of Intelligent Contacts and a member of uh, several advisory boards. Welcome, Paul. Oh, well, I appreciate that, Martin. Thanks very much. I'm glad to be here. A longtime listener, first-time guest. Well, I appreciate that. Talk about how you got into manufacturing. That was a great story, so I'd like to share that. Sure. Um, you know, I worked my way through college um, full-time, and uh, so I worked for some entrepreneurs. And when I left college, starting a company just seemed pretty natural. Uh, so I started a sportswear design and manufacturing firm when I was 25, and uh, and it went really well. We we launched that, and within a year, I had uh, representatives promoting the solution or the the soft, the sportswear in 26 states, and uh, had a staff of people, and um, and it was it was a whole lot of fun. There were certainly challenges associated with that. Starting a company is a lot different than running, <laughs> running a company. True. Very true. Yeah. And so from, from there, you know, one of the challenges that I ran into was, um, was raising capital. I, I had bigger plans. And so I had larger clients that wanted to see um, larger capacity. So I needed more capacity to get the larger clients but I needed the larger clients to get more capacity. And at 25, being the brilliant person that I am, had no idea how to raise capital. So uh, I raised capital by reducing my personal uh, living expenses. I lived in my car and I lived on $2 a day, which is two hot dogs and a Coke from AM, PM. And and that got us through and we grew. Uh, And then in the late 80s, I sold that company and I joined uh, EDS, Electronic Data Systems, in their manufacturing industry group. And it was a it was a great experience. Lots of five relocations in six years, but I got to see so much about manufacturing. Um, presented to the board of directors at General Motors, uh, I've been through tons of different plants and distribution centers and logistics, and got to see just wonderful things. Great lessons that were learned uh, in that time. Um, and I got this uh, great passion for manufacturing, got my APIC certification, and you know, I'll stop there. That was a brief background on, on where I've been in the manufacturing, and I'll tell you more about where I am now later. All right. <laughs> Sounds fair. It's funny. You say the chicken egg thing. I have to tell you a story, too. Uh, I had a value-add logistics company I started, and uh, I started in 15,000 square feet and grew to about 45,000 in this little uh, first building we had. Yeah. And that was the same thing. I was I, I was talking to some huge customers. I didn't have the space to take them on. They said, unless you get the space, we can't talk to you. I moved to a 500,000 square foot warehouse. Oh. 
I remember standing on top of the mezzanine and I had to move the inventory from our old building to the new building. I looked at the mezzanine and it was a tiny spot on the floor. I thought, yeah. my God, what have I done? <laughs> right. Right. So Don't bring my wife here. She's going to figure out <laughs> own all the money on empty space. Right. Well, we wound up adding 75,000 feet to it, but you talk about fun and, and, and being scared to death at the same time. You're right. It's, it's, a, it's a ride. Yeah. And it's a, it's a badge of honor. Um, I, I don't think I would do it differently. So many things that uh, you learn uh, running a business and leading, leading people uh, and you know, your appetite for risk or not risk either way uh, the lessons are, are profound. Well, again, if you don't have an appetite for risk, you probably don't want to go on your own because it's always there. <laughs> Let's talk about that a little bit. One of the, Paul, Paul and I to share with the audience, I guess, Paul and I had a discussion a few weeks back. It was pretty interesting. We were talking about some of the things you'd seen in in uh, companies over the years, and the things I've seen over the last thirty plus years, and yeah. we're seeing the same problems. We're seeing the same issues. I mean, no. <clears throat> change initiatives are are a problem. Uh, let's face it. Studies show that uh, most people that do have a strategy don't execute a strategy. They have change initiatives. They don't add value. Leadership development. They spend money on it. Great great programs, but they don't they don't take root. They don't. Uh, deliver lasting value. Right. And you have some thoughts on that. I'd like to share that. Yeah, sure. So um, we, th- there are some, uh, there's some quotes that I, I keep pinned up. Hang on a second. Let me grab these. I keep the, these nearby because they help remind me of the challenges that have been faced in the past and uh, where the, where the failures and where the successes have been. So Here's one. Um, love this quote. Four or five frigates will do the business without any military force. 1774, British Prime Minister Lord North on dealing with the rebellious American colonies. <laughs> Those pesky Americans, right? <laughs> there's, there's a ton of these that, um, here's a recent one. Uh, dumb money is on GameStop. This is from uh, the New York Times in January of 2021. And that was paraphrasing what hedge fund and money managers were talking about. I'm still kicking myself because I didn't take the advice of my son and his Reddit friends, right? So the challenge with some of these conventional wisdom is that convention is made to, to simplify and almost you know, commoditize a thought process. What we find, though, in in organizations that seem to face the same challenge, the same, like you said, uh, uh, resource plan, and maybe execute or don't execute, you fast forward, and they're back at that same spot again. It's this this cycle of I'm I'm doing, I'm trying, I'm evaluating, I'm doing, I'm trying, evaluating, but the doing and the trying are the same. Conventional wisdom has a short shelf life. It, it lasts only so long before it is blown away. And gosh, if ever there was a time for us to think about how we do work, it's now. It's now, right now. Absolutely. We have to be able to think differently about how we go about addressing our challenges. Look, when people look at a challenge, typically, here's, a, here's how the mind works. Um, I look at the challenges in front of me. 
I look beyond the challenge to that to-be environment where I want to be. And then I refer to my experience, my past. So what have I done in the past in addressing this? What have we, um, how have we accomplished or overcome a challenge? Or how do we just go about working on it? And then I'll look in my immediate sphere and at what are my competition, what's my competition doing? What are some of the market cues or industry cues that I'm getting, right? So it's common, it's logical, it's conventional. Yeah, plan your work, work your plan, right? Correct. Well, that is not what some of the world's most prolific inventors, business pioneers, mathematicians, scientists, artists, poets, musicians, um, manufacturers, sales representatives. That's not what those people from history have done. Historically, those people use a set of very unique skills that they're actually born with. And they challenge convention, find new paths easily that have low or no risk to success, and they thrive in any market condition. And so when I talk with folks, go ahead, I'm sorry. That sounds kind of like a too good to be true. Uh, yep. um, uh, new new path with no risk, right? Right. A little bit. Right. So the and just to be clear, you know my my um, my enthusiasm and excitement about innovation and growth isn't just theory. It's not pie in the sky um, philosophy. It's based on forty years of experience of using these skills with clients in two dozen industries, 26 countries, and $2.2 billion in new revenue. It works. So we've got, and we've got the proof points to it. So if you want the skill, here's the fun part. If you want this set of unique skills that overcome challenges, find new options to, to play with, to use and apply, then you must be Okay, it's a secret. Or become dyslexic, <laughs> right? Dyslexic. So the interesting thing that we found, we've cracked the code on these super skills, these innate skills of Einstein, Da Vinci, JFK, Charles Schwab, Agatha Christie. Richard Branson, all dyslexic, all pioneers, their thought process uses what I have now developed called peripheral thinking. And peripheral thinking is the ability, part of peripheral thinking is the ability to take seemingly unrelated ideas, philosophies, theories, solutions, whatever, approaches, and apply them in unique ways to the current challenge at hand. And that is the, that's the excitement. There. Uh, I mean, I love what you said, but wouldn't, wouldn't prevent conventional thinking work in a, in a group when you, when you have a group of people, I'm I'm a CEO and I've got a staff and we're addressing a problem. I should have, let's say I have 10 people on my staff. I should have 11 looks at that problem. Correct. Right. Right. Why don't I? Let's do this. Um, Is it okay if we do a little exercise? Sure. Okay. Okay. So we'll have some fun. We'll make it brief. Uh, So everyone that's that's, uh, watching this or or listening, 
Um, I want you to imagine yourself in a mountain field. The sun on your face is warm. The air is crisp. It's cool. And in this mountain field, you look up and right in front of you is that challenge. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. If you're listening to this and you're driving, don't do this part. <laughs> okay. But if you're watching, here's what I want you to do. And Martin's going to follow along with it. Okay. So place your hand over your eyes. Not so that you're covering it completely, but just so you can't see what's in front of you. Now, you can't see what's in front of you. What can you see? Well, you can move your eyes up, down, to the left, to the right. So you can spend a few seconds just kind of circling around and looking at it. Okay, you can take your hand down. So that's your periphery. Science has proven that dyslexics have a heightened sense of peripheral vision. Now, let's go back to that mountain field. And Let's go, say, 100 yards to the left of that existing starting point. And let's look at the challenge again. What do you see differently about that challenge? Take your team of 10 or 11 with you. And what do you all see about that? Well, probably a little bit more detail. And you can do that same exercise and move in a circle around it. And you get a 360-degree review. All right. The challenge with that peripheral awareness, being able to see certain things, is that it's still through your perspective, through your team's collective experiences, their set of truths. Now, we're going to go back to that mountain, to that 100 yards to the right, and instead of looking at the challenge, look around. What else do you see? Well more objects, people, other people, but they're not looking at your challenge. They've got their own. How did they get where they are? What brought them to this point? What, what path are they taking to overcome their challenge? What are the lessons that we can learn from them? You know, people say, um, there's a phrase, well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Kind of a dismissal statement. Well, let me ask you this. What does a baker in Bulgaria have to do with the processes of a foundry outside of Philadelphia? What does a movie theater in Moldova have to do with a distribution center in Denver? I didn't say nothing. Well, what does a flu in China have to do with unemployment around the world? Conventional wisdom says eh, not much. Peripheral thinking says, oh, 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 a lot more than you would imagine. Peripheral thinking takes those lessons, experiences, and, um, and proof points and applies them in unique ways so that you can draw on the wealth of the world's knowledge in addressing your challenge. So when I talk with people about getting outside of or, you know, and getting into the periphery. Look, if you're part of, of LinkedIn and you're part of groups or, or whatever, and this wonderful group that Martin has, it's awesome, but it's not the periphery. You all have sort of an industry, if you will, in common. Right. Get outside of that. That's the periphery. When you learn how the baker in Bulgaria handles their supply chain, 
how they deal with staff, how they deal with the storefront. Um, I've got another story with a specific example, but I'll stop there. That's kind of what I'm seeing again and again. And over the last four decades, have been able to show other people how to use these peripheral ideas and apply them tactically and strategically and, and grow without the risk of, you know, being the bleeding edge. It, it's very interesting. It's, and it, I was trying to, uh, trying to equate it with some of the history I've had with, when I go back to my, my CEO and my 10 staff members. Yeah. Typically what I'll see in a room is they defer to that CEO. There's not 10 looks at the, at the problem. There's one or two looks and they, they feel out how it's going to go. And they say, yep, he's right. And they look at the person at the head of the table. Right. <laughs> which, which even exacerbates the problem further because we're going to go back to that one, one area. And, right. and I know in, in my experience, just like yours, I have a broad background, manufacturing, uh, high tech, uh, logistics. Gosh, I've been working with a lot of things. So yeah. when I go into a company, I don't look at that company as a, a manufacturing company. I look at that company as a process, a business process. They make or sell something. They have to make a profit. They've got to attract people. It's the same thing no matter what you're doing, right? Exactly. So you look at your other industries and say, what did I see over here that would really make a difference over here? Right. And, and try to bring that in. And it's invariably met with resistance. Why is that? Invariably. Um, it's again. It's the uh, it's the weight and the um, the block that conventional wisdom places on individuals. If you if you looked at that new idea that Martin brings to the table, and instead of saying uh, it wasn't made in my industry, and so therefore they don't know anything about you know what I'm dealing with, and so therefore it's risky. If you remove the fear of risk and just open your mind to possibilities and start connecting what Martin is saying about this approach or the solution or the strategy and then translate it to your industry, that is a much, uh, much more productive engagement. The example that I have is um, I was working with a, a healthcare uh, a hospital in 2010-ish, and it was the patient engagement department. Uh, and we'd finished a week of workshops with them. The, the director will, for confidentiality, we'll just call her Jennifer Johnson. She told me that she couldn't do the follow-up call the next week because she and her family were going on vacation uh, in Hawaii. It's awesome. Well, on Sunday, I get a text from Jen. And it says, I need to talk to you. Okay. So I had no sooner replied on my mobile phone. Okay. Then my phone rings. Hey, Jen, what's, what's going on? Hey, that peripheral thinking thing. I get it. I get it. Now, Jen, she is buttoned down, very conservative by the rules. And she was almost giddy. Okay. I can tell you're excited. So what's happening? Okay. My husband and our kids... We just checked into the resort and we're, we've only been in our room for just a few minutes. And I got this text. Hang on, I want to read it to you. And so she reads her te this text to me. Miss um, Johnson, thank you for you know, checking into this hotel. And if there's anything I can do to make your stay exceptional, call me. Jim Smith, general manager. 
And he gave me his personal mobile phone. That's a great customer experience, right? She says, that's it, right? Here's the periphery. Why can't we do this for our patients when they check into the hospital? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well done, Jen. She gets it. She took a proven solution from hospitality. What does that have to do with gallbladder surgery? Nothing. And she applied it to healthcare. Fast forward to today, she is not the director. She's the chief patient experience officer for a 20 hospital healthcare system. Because she was open and was subconsciously collecting lessons learned while she was in the periphery. That's a great story. It is. Yeah. I think human nature, and, and you're more an expert at this than I am, even though I'm old, maybe I learned something along the way, <laughs> is when, you, when you're presented with a new opportunity, the first thing you think of is failure. You don't think, you don't see the, say, okay, the end of this road, I could actually improve my business. They say, man, it's risky. It's going to go wrong. Historically, this is a risk. I'm not going to do it. So even when they sign up and say, yeah, let's go try this, the back of their minds saying, you're going to drag me the whole way because I don't want to do this. <laughs> right. Which is exactly what I run into. It's crazy. Yeah. And and look, if 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 that's you and and you are conventional and and um, business as usual, you're going to stay the course. Terrific. This probably isn't the podcast for you. Yeah. Right. And and but the good thing is that it'll be here in a few years when you are potentially one of those people that um, that became replaceable. We're, we're all replaceable, right? And, and what we've learned is that some people don't believe that. Well, consider this. Uh, how many people thought that they were relevant value? How many companies felt that way before April of 2020? before 22 million Americans were unemployed, before 200,000 plus companies closed their doors. Absolutely. We're all replaceable. Absolutely. So to be relevant, you must be expansive in your access to new information. Solving an industry problem almost always happens from outside of that industry. That's true. NASA didn't do what SpaceX did. However, NASA does choose about 50% of their staff is dyslexic. They're very good at what they do, very good. But the next level now has taken them to, an, an, to people from outside the industry to say, we've got to go forward. And now giving NASA the, their, their due. When JFK said, hey, we're going to place a person on the moon, conventional wisdom said, you're going to do what? <laughs> you're going to do what? By the end of the, uh, end of the decade, yeah. Right. But then they jumped in at NASA and they said, we're going to cast a broad net because they had to find things. They had to create new things that had never been created before. Materials, um, mixing things to make new heat shields. I, heck, they had to make tang. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what, but look at the byproduct of all of that yeah. and how it's moved forward. 
JFK was a peripheral thinker. Jennifer Johnson at that hospital is a peripheral thinker. The people that I've spoken with have been conventional thinkers. And as I coach them and speak with them and spend time with them, and hopefully you now that are listening to this and watching this are starting to think, hey, there might be another way. Not a new way, but just another way that I can add to my my tool of skills. That's a that's a great a great uh, I don't want to say leave behind, but it, but it, to the end, but but it is. I mean, it, you know, you, business especially, there's always some new technology or new fix it, new new gadget that's going to fit. You know, long ago I learned that automation software, you know, it gives you bad answers it's faster. You right, you process. get to fail faster. Right, <laughs> exactly. If you don't have process. You don't have procedures in place. You don't have uh, metrics. You know, it's still in what you're looking at, right? Right. Uh, so and you I, have the right processes. Are you using the right metrics? Well, exactly. Are they coming from your industry, or can you apply um, additional processes and additional metrics? Customer satisfaction became patient experience. Who, yeah. who would have thought? And, and now that's, you know, that's prolific everywhere in the healthcare industry, but it wasn't back in 2010. That was just, just 10 years ago, less than a, just a little over a decade. Yeah, it's crazy. And, it's, and it is. And, and look, there's, there's a lot of lessons there. There's something that if anybody's interested in learning more about this, I have, I'll, I'll, sh- I'll send you a template and it's called the peripheral thinking resource library template. And it's got a number of, it's got six C's that helped you get started in putting some boundaries around your experiences that you can catalog and then come back to when you're facing a challenge or you want to achieve a specific goal, you can reference this and pull from it, kind of like spices in a cupboard. You pull what you need when you need it. That's one of the questions I was going to ask. How can can, uh, people get in touch with you if they want to discuss this further? Yeah, super. So um, easiest way is to find me on LinkedIn and it's Paul Daniels Jr. Jr. Paul Daniels Jr. God love my dad. He was Paul Daniels and then he had me and he had to change his name to Paul Daniels Sr. And then, you know, God bless our son. We called him Paul and now he's the third. So, <laughs> uh, And he's a peripheral thinker as well. And look for Jr. Listen, I'm pretty, it's been interesting. I knew it would be. That's why I was, uh, was hoping we'd get to do this. And I think there's some good information there. I mean, it, 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 I'm not as uh, certainly uh, schooled in the uh, peripheral thinking as you are, but it's clear something has to change the way we're doing yes. business. I mean, because we address the same things over and over and over. I can walk into 10 companies over 10 years and see the least a subset of, pro- of five or six problems. I'll see it everywhere. And when right. we approach it, it's uh, it, that doesn't work in our company. That doesn't work in our industry. We're different. No, you're not. You're still you're still employing somebody to deliver a service to somebody and trying to make money at it. Yes. So that whatever that process is, it's there's similarities. Right. And and I believe in this industry. It is at it's at the core of me. I love manufacturing. I always have since because, I was very young. It's just it's part of my DNA. And that's why, look, if you do connect with me on LinkedIn, I will send you that template for free. Okay. That's no cost. Just say Martin manufacturing, something like that. Just so I know that you got it from this, um, from, from this web, 
uh, this podcast, video cast, and I'm happy to share that with you. I'll give you some, you know, some additional stuff if if you're interested, because I would love to see our industry be at the forefront again. Well, and again, that's why we're doing this is, is to put emphasis on because we've outsourced some what we did was stupid since the eighties, you know, we were relying on other countries for everything. And I think it's time to put focus back on manufacturing and try to drive it back to the U S if we can. A- Amen. Absolutely. So um, think of the 11 companies that were listed as great in Jim Collins book, good to great. And how many of those are still great? Well, that's, there's a lesson there. That's exactly right. Right. So conventional wisdom if you want to call conventional wisdom something, it is stagnant. It can only last for so long. We, we must keep innovating, keep moving, or we're going to fall behind, become a commodity, or worse, irrelevant. Absolutely. If that hits you in the gut like it hits me, and it should, then good. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're either innovating and growing or you're dying. And, exactly. And there's no status quo. And the difference between today and 20 years ago is it's a whole lot faster today. Right. And even generational, right? It used to take several generations to become millionaires. And now it takes um, less than something like four years in a given in a single generation to make it and lose it. Yeah. Crazy. Million, nothing. Yeah. So we can do it. And I'm confident we can do it because I've worked with manufacturers and we have grown um, and they contribute to the two plus billion dollars in new revenue um, that I claim and and um, am proud to have contributed to. Paul, I thanks for your time. I really appreciate oh, it. I think it was absolutely. And I hope our audience finds it the same way. As do I. As do I. Martin, it's always great to talk with you. Love the podcast. We'll continue uh, watching and listening. Thank you, sir. Okay, cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain and would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash apply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss an episode, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger. Or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.